you need to have all the fundamentals in place. You need to have your mental game rock solid, your technical game, your tactical game. You need to have an unbelievable lifestyle. You need to be very strong from a physical conditional point of view. You need to be a strong leader. You also need to have a strong, obviously, team cohesion and team spirit and team culture. You need to have great coaches. Uh, and finally, of course, you need to have that winning mentality. Hello and welcome to the Off-Field Rugby Pod. I'm your host, Brian Moylet. I'm a former Irish age-grade international player, now playing in Vancouver and coaching collegiate rugby. Each week, I chat with somebody involved at the top end of the game to hear about their journey, get their insights, and learn about how they do what they do. On Instagram, I'm the Off-Field Rugby Coach. That's at Off-Field Rugby. Please follow me there. I share content around mental skills and performance and also clips from the pod. Please subscribe to the pod wherever you're listening if you haven't already. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and a review. And in the review, let me know what you like about the podcast. Would love to hear your thoughts. Lastly, please share the pod with some friends. Those different things help people find the pod and are really, really appreciated. Today I'm chatting with Enda McNulty, who is a sports psychologist and was the Irish rugby team's mental skills coach for a number of years under both Declan Kidney and Joe Schmidt. Brian O'Driscoll talks glowingly about Enda in his autobiography. He says that in 2008 he was in poor form and was very low in confidence. Michael Checkad, the then Leinster coach, put him in touch with Enda. The two started working together and the following year O'Driscoll went on to Captain Ireland the Grand Slam, play brilliantly for the Lions in South Africa and get nominated for the IRB World Player of the Year. And to be honest, I do not know how O'Driscoll didn't win it that year. Enda is also a former Gaelic football player. For people outside of Ireland, Gaelic football is our national sport and the most popular sport in Ireland with soccer being number two and rugby number three. It's kind of like... Aussie rules you can have a look on YouTube if you're interested but it's a brilliant sport I loved it I played it a lot growing up and uh, got to the very top of Gaelic football he won an inter-county title with Armagh in 2002 and was named an all-star which is like a dream team for the whole country Enda talks about how teams or athletes need to get their physical tactical technical and mental preparation right to perform at their best they need to be good in all of those areas He also explains exactly how you can train your mind to get the best out of yourself, whether that's in sport, business, or just life in general. And he really details this. It's brilliant. Enda is so insightful about the mental side of sport and high performance. There's so much in this episode for any athlete, but also beyond the things that he chats about, I believe, will help anyone live a better life. And... If you're somebody with a growth mindset, I think you'll absolutely love this episode. Enda is also Managing Director of McNulty Performance, a company that he founded which works with and coaches high performers throughout every sector across the world. In the episode, he goes from talking about working with Robbie Henshaw just before our chat to the number one dancer in Riverdance who has performed over five and a half thousand times to a global CEO who manages 100,000 people. He also talks about how he was in a dream job when he got the idea for McNulty Performance and got the idea of going out on his own. But he quit that job pretty quickly 
took the leap and went for it. Even though when he was talking to his friends, he was laughed at, and essentially the bank managers did the exact same thing when he looked to get funding to get started. This episode is a little bit different. And why I say that is because I've left in the kind of offline chat that we had before we said we'd get started with the, with the podcast. I just think it would be interesting for people to hear. For a background, Enda said a few weeks ago that he'd be happy to jump on, but was travelling internationally for a couple of weeks. He's working 12-hour days at the moment, but he found 30 minutes for me at 9pm earlier in the week at the end of his workday. So then we were trying to get started and the platform that I use, which is called Zencaster, it's like Zoom but for podcasts. It wouldn't work on his side. It wouldn't load. It's literally never failed for me before, but anyway. So I quickly then set up a Zoom call as we're messaging over and back and then we jump on the Zoom and I can't hear him. Anyway, we got it sorted and just started having a casual chat and I just thought I'd leave that in. So after five minutes, we quote-unquote start the podcast. A quick word from our sponsor and then it's episode number 19 with Enda McNulty. A lot of people stress about money. Where should you be investing? Are you prepared if there's a crash? And loads more. And if you're not an expert, finances can be really daunting. I know the people at Sparks Wealth and they're brilliant. What they do is they educate you on your finances without any jargon. They create a personalized plan for you and manage your money so that it's working for you and so you don't need to be worrying about it. You can book a free, no obligation Zoom call now on their website, sparkswealth.ie. Can you hear me? I can hear you, yeah. Can you hear me? What's that sound quality like? Oh, brilliant. Jeez, thanks a million. Sure? Yeah, brilliant, brilliant, yeah. See, Murphy's Law Murphy's law today for me. Absolutely. Good to see you, sir. Yeah, cheers. I have a recording, so I'll just introduce you. We'll have a chat. Um, yes, is of our, course. All right, if we go to 9.50, just, or yeah, 45. Yeah, take your time. Of course, take your time. Cheers, cheers. So I'm here with Enda McNulty, a man who... Hold on, had, hold on. Before, before you go, where are you, in Vancouver? Yeah, yeah, in Vancouver. So I'm from, I'm from Ireland, I'm from Mayo, and living in Vancouver now. And uh, you're coaching, coaching, you're coaching and doing podcasting, are you? Yeah. So I played like I played underage rugby for Ireland for Leinster Connacht. I'm from Mayo, um, and then moved over to the States in 2016 to play and coach on a scholarship. Did an MBA, then moved up to Vancouver after. So um, I was working in finance for a couple of years, and then that finished a couple of months ago with COVID and I was just like, I don't want to keep doing that. So I started a podcast and I coach rugby now in a university and I'm just following that. And Good man. Is that, is that in uh, university of Vancouver? British Columbia. So oh, it, yeah. Columbia. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's like the biggest one in Canada, I think. Yeah. Cer- certainly, yeah. Certainly the biggest one around here, but um, yeah. I love what, it. Say, what size of franchise do you have? It's so I coach the university team, like the women's rugby team, and they're good. Like they have a few Canadian internationals. They, yeah, they're they're a good team. Like I hadn't coached women until like two, three years ago, and the level over here is far above the level back home. Women's rugby, like um, they played from a young age, and I know it's growing in Ireland, but. Yeah, they're good. Like I saw them play before. I decided to coach them. I was like, "Yeah, I can, I can do something with them." So, uh, no way. Yeah, so I love it. 
Yeah, so just coach rugby, do the podcast. And then on Instagram, I help younger players with like mental skills, mindset. So just kind of the pitfalls that I had when I was younger, when I was playing growing up to kind of help them or help players. And what do you mean by an Instagram? You, you coach them on Insta or what are you doing? So I haven't really, well, I have an Instagram page where I share, share different things. So yeah, I share different thoughts, share stuff. And some people have reached out to me to have a chat and I haven't really like quote unquote launched it yet, but I want to like mentor young players. Like I want to chat with them and help them with the different things that they're going through. And so like one man who was listening to the podcast, he's like, Oh, listen to the podcast. I love it. Um, would you be interested in chat with my son? He's on the Canada U18s and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, for sure. So I went, uh, so I met him a couple of times and then, a few other lads would DM me and be like, same thing. Like, would you up for having a chat? And I'm like, yeah, for sure. And uh, I'd have chats with them. So I've just been like slowly doing that and kind of like just building as I go along. And I suppose now I'll pretty soon be ready to just say to people, hey, yeah, I do this. Or Why, why would you say you'd pretty soon be ready? Why not now? Uh, good question. Yeah, I suppose... Um, I keep kind of thinking when I grow more. So like there's 580 followers on Instagram right now. And I keep kind of thinking, oh, if I have this a few more, I'd be ready then. But in saying that, like there are four people have kind of DM me and I've chatted with them, chatted with them over Zoom. And at the end, I was even just saying to my brother at the end, I'm just having a chat and I'm just helping them where I can. And then at the end, they all smile and go, oh, my God word that was exactly what I needed to hear that was brilliant and then I'm like oh geez great that's a great great to hear so yeah you're right probably should be now yeah and it, yeah you're ready now the only thing I'd say to you there Brand, it doesn't matter if you've got 25 million followers on Insta or Twitter it's about the impact you make on the one person 100% yeah you know I mean so I'm delighted to see obviously even I can see here your multimedia savviness uh but the, let's call it the multimedia is a scale over here versus coaching and facilitation and mentoring and guiding and inspiring over here. Uh, scale of difficulty of having 100,000 followers on Insta versus impacting 100 people's lives in a genuine way. The scale of difficulty is incomparable. Yeah, it's so true. And um, yeah, so true. And that's exactly like why I do it is you know yourself from coaching like I've been coaching rugby like six years now since I went to the states and just that impact that you have on people when they you know say thanks or when it makes a difference and I've had coaches myself who made a had an impact on me so yeah so that's why I want to do it and help people but um yeah for sure I probably should just launch it launch it now well, well you got to lose I'm going to just change this light in here because I can see I'm very dark here I'll be back in yeah. one second perfect. and you can go live then when I come back is that okay that's perfect Thank you so much, Brent. Cheers. Already. Perfect. I'll just introduce you in the intro of the podcast. So when did you when did you get interested in the mental side of the game? Uh, I probably at 12, 13 years of age. And what was there something that happened that made you kind of think about it? Because I don't think a lot of 12, 13 year olds are understanding the mental side of sport yeah very simply my father uh, was a Gaelic footballer he played for Armagh 
He was also a teacher and a coach. His biggest passion in life was the coach and teach. Still is. He's 75 years today. Uh, he had played for Armagh senior football and then he became the coach of the Armagh team not long afterwards. He actually taught in uh, Toronto in school with my mother. Uh, they left home and went to Toronto to teach and, and loved it over there. The only thing was he missed Gaelic football so much he returned home to play and to coach back home in Ireland. Uh, he learned in Canada about the more advanced, uh, let's say, positive psychology, the more advanced teaching style, the more advanced coaching style, uh, the more advanced probably way of living uh, from a, let's call it a flourishing and, and positive psychology point of view. So when he returned back home, he had been, let's say, enlightened to that way of thinking. And when he returned back to teaching and to coaching, and obviously raising kids, he was aware that you're not going to have somebody who achieves their full potential in school, in sport and life, unless they're aware of how to develop their mental skills, how to work on their own psychology, uh, how to nurture their own psychology. Uh, so as very young kids, we'd been aware of my father starting to uh, coach and inspire and open up our thinking about, you know, the psychology side of our preparation. And then from there, it was pretty lucky that the teachers that we had in school very early days would have been aware of literally teaches, teaching us sports psychology at 14 years of age, 15 years of age. Uh, that was right throughout school, a guy called Val Keane, who played at the highest level for down senior football and then was a, a very prominent coach. He was our Gaelic football coach and he was our PE studies teacher. So he would have worked with us on coaches, the fundamentals of basketball and Gaelic football, as well as the fundamentals of your mental skills, the fundamentals of leadership, the fundamentals of building serious teams. So again, just pretty blessed in that environment that we had very good parents, of course, uh, the lucky sperm club, pretty lucky there. And then teachers and then we went to university to study psychology uh, on my first week in, in psychology at queen's university belfast this big almost burly uh, english gentleman was in the lecture hall 250 students and he even said to every student in the audience he said some of you as psychology graduates will go and be teachers some have become criminal psychologists some will become a sports psychologist, some will become, let's say, clinical psychologists, and some of you will work in the applied world. Some of you will work in the applied world with elite athletes, with corporates, with maybe even military. And I held my hand up and I said, that's me. And I was the only hand in the audience up. And he says, have you got a problem, sir? Is an issue? And I says, no, no, John, his name was John Kramer, a former, a famous sports psychologist. Still alive and well today. I said, no, no, uh, sir, that's what I want to do. Uh, he was then on the Gaelic football team we played on at Queen's University. He was our Gaelic football team sports psychologist. So he was bringing the theory onto the practice of the pitch. He'd worked a lot with rugby. Uh, in fact, he'd done a wee bit with Ireland rugby way back in the day before it was cool. Uh, a lot of people then in Irish rugby would have looked down their nose at him and would have laughed and giggled. Uh, and then it became a lifelong fr uh, friendship with him. And, and I suppose the rest is history. Awesome. And so when you were playing then with Queens, I suppose there was that environment because he was there. But say when you went into the Armagh team, 
where they're were the teammates interested in what you your approach to the game and the way you looked after your mental side of the game because that was like you say the Irish rugby team would have at that time looked down at that kind of thing or it wasn't done in the late 90s like how did your teammates see what you were doing well Arma at that stage when I joined the squad as a 19 year old would have been very progressive uh, that was way back 1996 I think I joined in the, in the winter of 1996 very progressive uh, serious culture forming uh, serious work ethic serious band of brothers being created by the old coach Brian McAlinden was actually his name mm. uh, and believe it or not Brian in the, in the early days he would have said to me would you write uh, the mental preparation program for those at championship for the team and when you handed each one of the players so even then in 1970 98 99 he would have asked me to write and prepare some information for the team on their mental prep and i would have collaborated with uh, john kramer and me and john would have wrote up very comprehensive mental training programs for the team we would have handed to the coaches coaches document players document uh, I vividly remember a night before an Ulster Championship match, maybe playing in front of 30,000 people, uh, coming out of a, a changing rooms after the uh, the last team training, and some of the guys had turfed them into the bin, but they were the guys that weren't starting the game. But I noticed that the vast majority of players had kept theirs and that they were interested and they were reading them as, let's say, good preparation manuals. It's awesome. And I remember your team. I'm from Mayo, like I'm a big Gaelic footballer. Well, was when I was younger, but um, I remember that. And even the northern teams used to have around that period used to all seem to be so mentally strong. And it's something that I was have been thinking about recently. But with the the Mayo team celebrating semi final wins and then constantly losing finals, like I said it after the last. I always I'm like, oh, this year, this year, this year. But after this year, when they beat Dublin in the semi-final and they all run on, screaming, jumping, shouting, crying, this is the best day of my life, um, et cetera. I told my brothers, I was like, I'm out of the loop. I don't even know who they're playing in the final. I don't follow it anymore. But I'm telling you, they're not going to win. And the lads, like my two brothers will tell you that. And they're like, oh, no, this is a new team. It's a young team. I'm like, no. Like, and do you see that? that meant Like it's the mental side of the game that's holding them back from winning All-Ireland. Simple as. Yeah, well, to be honest with you, Brian, and again, my view could be wrong, and I'm sure for your listeners in Vancouver or in Mayo yeah. would have their own perspective on this. My perspective on sport is that if you're going to be successful at the highest level or even at, let's say, inter-county level, never mind world sport, you need to have all the fundamentals in place. You need to have your mental game rock solid, your technical game, your tactical game. You need to have an unbelievable lifestyle. You need to be very strong from a physical conditional point of view. You need to be a strong leader. You also need to have a strong, obviously, team cohesion and team spirit and team culture. You need to have great coaches. Uh, and finally, of course, you need to have that winning mentality. So if you have all of those, let's say, key pillars or fundamentals in place, as even John Wooden would have spoke about nearly 100 years ago, uh, then you have a chance of competing at the highest level. I, I don't believe the metal game on its own will suffice, to be honest. And I've spent my whole life coaching, and now we're coaching people in business all over the world. We're coaching people at the highest level in sport all over the world. We're coaching elite performance artists all over the world. 
So I don't believe that the medal game in its own will suffice. Like I don't believe that the biggest, strongest, fastest athlete in the world, just in terms of her or his physique, will suffice. And a case in point today, I spent a bit of time with Robbie Henshaw. He is in incredible shape. He played incredibly well with Ireland against Argentina at the weekend. But yet he's very aware of his mental game. He's very aware of his mindfulness. He's very aware of chilling out and relaxing with his granddad back home uh, in Westmead over a nice quiet bottle of Guinness. So it's the whole picture where is where it's at. It's, it's the overall package that any female or male athlete has. Yeah, hundred percent. And what? How would you help a person or player who has all of the package, but they don't believe in themselves? They come to you and they say, you know, they're the fastest, strongest. They train all the time, and they say, I've all that. I do all the work in the gym, and I train hard. I just have no confidence in myself. Yeah, well, that happens very often. Uh, Premier League players, elite world class golfers, rugby players. Uh, global CEOs it very regularly happens so, so first of all you don't tell them anything you listen you understand you, you spend a lot of time finding out what's going on you excavate what's happening behind the scenes uh, it used to be with Olympic athletes we'd go and spend maybe a week and a half two weeks maybe three weeks with them in Japan in England in North America far afield places and you'd almost be like a performance detective. You'd be figuring it out. And then you'd craft and curate, a, let's say, a mental toughness program for them or maybe an overall performance excellence program. Some cases, there'll be 25 pages. Some cases, five pages. Some cases, one page, depending on where they were. Sometimes the, the athletes at the highest level of world sport, they don't even need a page. They just need to be told very pragmatically what's going on. Yeah. And... You mentioned there with Robbie, say, like switching off. And I think, isn't that a huge part of high performance, be it in business, be it in whatever you're doing, to be able to kind of press, put a full stop at the end of a day or whatever and not be thinking about the sport all the time? Yeah, I think that's a key, a fundamental life, is that ability to switch off and relax and rejuvenate. Unfortunately, COVID has probably exaggerated people doing the opposite of that. And mm. No matter what performance crucible we're in, everybody's constantly on. Uh, although I must say, learning from the Zen Buddhist monks, you know, they're amazing at knowing how to be mindful in the middle of the moment and, and to be amazing at, you know, flourishing in life and not worried about the next Insta message or the next email or the next meeting, let's say. Yeah. And have you come across many people who didn't really want to talk to you? So say they're part of a team and they kind of have to and they're skeptical and you're sitting down in front of them. Has that happened much? Yes, of course, Brian. Like, like it happens to you, I'm sure, working with young female rugby players or male or senior coaches. Of course it happens. I'm okay with that. I was okay with that. 30 years ago when I started coaching. Uh, I think the first coaching session I ever did when I was 14 years of age. Uh, and some of the guys on the team that I was coaching, I was actually coaching the same team I was playing on because the coach of the team was a bus driver and didn't know anything about coaching. And he said, Andy, you coach the team. You're playing for the local school boys. You, you must know something about coaching. So 
I was a player coach as a 14 year old and some of the boys were skeptical and they were laughing and giggling even then. So that's normal. It's normal that people are skeptical. It's normal that they're resistant. I'm accepting of that. In fact, I use that as a positive challenge. If we're meeting a global team of people from Amazon and they're coming in from all around the world and they're skeptical about what we can do to them in terms of high performance or what, how can we help them grow as leaders, I'd be thinking to myself, almost computing real time, what percentage of these skeptics can we quickly convert into champions either by the end of this session or by the end of this week or by the end of this year? Brilliant. Yeah. And are there any kind of daily practices, say a young player listens to this, like any practices or tools or things that they could do to help them with the mental side of their game? Yeah, well, I think starting off with, as you said, Brian, it's daily practices. If, if they want to be uh, the best player they can be, it's to treat the mental side of the game as seriously as they do the physical side of the game. I don't know anybody playing rugby at any level in the world who doesn't do two or three sessions in the gym a week. I don't know anybody. So, however, I'd have to say less than 5% of people in our experience do two or three mental training sessions per week. So I would strongly recommend uh, two to three is just maintenance. If you, if you really want to be the best you can be, it's probably between three to five sessions a week on mental preparation or training what does that look like it means early in the morning perhaps 5 10 15 minutes of meditation it might be five minutes of visualization of the next big game coming up it might be three four minutes of affirmation of your biggest strengths your biggest qualities as a female or male rugby player it could be then five minutes of uh, and this is sort of stuff we would have done at the highest level with the guys uh five or six minutes of scenario planning if we're five minutes to go and we're three points down, what are we going to do uh, inside our own 22 and so on? So lots of scenario planning. And then at the end of that, another two or three minutes of relaxation. So it's, it's not, there's no rocket science in mental training. It doesn't need to be very extravagant. It just needs to be simple, basic, repeatable, like our physical skills. So the mental skills should be treated in the same way as the physical skills with the same level of focus and deliberate practice. That's brilliant. Yeah. And would you do it in that, in that kind of process, like medit like relax, meditate, and then get into your, the different things you said, like the visualization, the affirmation, those different things. If someone was to sit down in the morning, that's kind of how they would map it out. Yeah, so, so definitely after meditation and relaxation for a very simple reason that if your mind is hyperactive and your brainwave activity is hyperactive, well, then your mental training is not going to have the same impact as when your mind is relaxed. I think in, in psychology in Queen's University with John Kramer, maybe in our second year, we were uh, using brain scanning to find out what was going on in the brain during different activities, including meditation. So even at that stage, we were showing the impact of when the brain is nice and relaxed, the impact on the mental training there versus when the brain is very hyperactive. Awesome. Yeah. And just um, conscious of your time, a couple more questions, but what now today like gives you the most satisfaction? So I know you work with CEOs all over the world, you work with athletes, you you do so many different things, but what excites you the most and gives you the most satisfaction in your work at the moment? Yeah, we can take, we'll take a bit of time, there's no problem, Brian. 
I've just freed up a bit of time, so I'm going to bed afterwards. We're going to take a bit of chill time. Awesome. You can edit that. You can edit that out. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so what what gives me most satisfaction? Interesting at the start, Brian. You said what gives you most satisfaction is seeing a young player really relate to you, really open up to you, resonate with you, Brian. Maybe that you feel you really connect with them. What gives us most satisfaction now in our company at McNulty is having people unlock their potential. It could be the young lady that we coach. She leads 100,000 people around the world in the retail world. So I'm actually much more excited about that now, Brian, than I was coaching one player who does one job for a team of 20 that play in front of you know 100,000 people. Right, but this this particular uh, young female, she leads a hundred thousand people. That's her responsibility. Or a person who's an ex shock getting to understand what, what's the psychology behind the shock in the middle of the most significant economic crisis of the last hundred years in Ireland. His name is Brian Khan. So I, I'm hugely excited about first of all coaching somebody that leads thousands of people around the world, which from a scale of difficulty point of view. It's more than 100x somebody who leads 30 people in a squad or 50 people in a rugby squad. I'm excited about learning, Brian, and I'm now collaborating with Neuroscientists. So really excited about massively transforming my learning to the next level in the next couple of years because of the people we're very fortunate to work with around the world and collaborate with. I'm, I'm excited about building a business that we can make an impact on millions of people's lives around the world because I have no interest in making an impact on millions of people's lives myself I can't do that but with a very strong team of people with similar values with a similar desire to help people unlock their potential uh, with a similar work ethic with a similar humility we believe that we can chase after a dream which is to make it a positive impact on people's lives at scale around the world. That's brilliant. And you mentioned the business there, and I heard you before at the start of the pandemic say, I think they have 15 people in the company. It could be more or less now. But was there a moment when you were on your own and then you decided, okay, I'm going to start a business? And like being a small business owner is not easy. So is there... Was stresses around that? Was there apprehension around that? Like going from yourself doing what you're doing, which I'm sure you got a lot of satisfaction out of, to then taking on a lot more? Uh, good question, Brian. It's a funny story, this one. Uh, I was a coaching track. That was my first professional job. I was playing Gaelic football professionally. And I say professionally that we were actually more professional than the professionals who are making a lot of money. We'd be training sometimes 13, 14 times a week, plus a game, uh, and trying to make a living at the same time. So we had to be more professional than professionals. Uh, and my job at the time was as a coaching director. I was coaching in a, in a GA club in Dublin, where we'd have uh, north of 75 teams in the GA club. And my job was to coach the coaches, to put a strategy in place to do stuff like mental skills training, even back in the day. Uh, make sure the infrastructure is in place to help all those kids and teams the whole way up, unlock their potential, girls and boys, men and women. Uh, and at this stage, Arma were rocking. I was lucky to have won 
an all-star and get a few all-star replacements, which means that you get a chance to travel around the world and play in the all-stars tours. So he would have played in San Diego, would have played in Paris in a, in a real cup. And then one of the all-stars tours was in Hong Kong. Uh, and we had a, a week of a lifetime and we had the most amazing time together, you know, crack as well as playing a very good game. I think it was the 2004 all-stars versus the 2005 all-stars. But in Hong Kong, I was thinking to myself, I've got a very good job. I'm, I'm playing football. I'm living the dream. Uh, the, the club had said to me, Andy, you can stay here and, and be coaching director for as many years as you want. We're really happy with you. We're going to ring fence your salary for as many years as you want. Uh, huge future here and so on. But in Hong Kong, over a beer one night with Enda Muldoon, the great dirty footballer, I said, Enda, I'm going to leave my, my job he says what, what what do you mean why do you leave your job you're living the dream you've got all the time in the world to coach and to play a football at the house now but i said no i'm going to leave i'm going to set a company up and he said but company doing what i says coaching people to unlock their potential so he starts laughing he says what end it where, where is the ink going to come from i says we're going to work with professional athletes we're going to work with uh, the best ga clubs and we're going to eventually work with the biggest corporates so arrived home in dublin went to the chairman of the club, told him I was going to leave the job within the next two weeks, uh, left the job and went to the banks, went to the business advisors, went to family, friends, and to be honest, the vast majority laughed and giggled. Uh, no seed capital, no funding, no business plan, no office, no business card, no, uh, no clients, no business, no income. Uh, but it was amazing because that's where growth occurs. I'd say within 90 days, I had very significant clients playing at the highest level of rugby. Within 90 days, I had very significant corporate clients. One of them ended up being the CEO of Kellogg's Europe, running a 3 billion euro business. So that, that period of having nothing was exactly where a huge amount of growth occurred. That's unreal. And something you mentioned there at the start, which I've been really learning about and seeing myself recently, is the importance of having a purpose and a vision for something that you want to do. And then you'll start moving towards that. Like you were saying there, you had nothing and you were just like, I'm going to start. But you knew where you wanted to get to, all those different things. You knew what you wanted to, to be and where to get to. And then that allows you to then start just moving towards it, doesn't it? Yeah, I think a vision's critical. If you're an athlete or if you're somebody who's trying to be building a business, which is an entrepreneur, I, I didn't know that it was an entrepreneur, to be honest with you, Brian. I didn't have a clue what an entrepreneur was. But then I was in Madrid University. They asked me to be a professor for them on their, uh, let's say, entrepreneurial program. They're bringing people from all over the world, literally, to Madrid for a year-long entrepreneur program. So one of the nights out, they said to me, and when you go out and meet them for a meal and, and go to the nightclub after with them before the class tomorrow morning, I said, yeah, of course, I'd love to learn, of course I go. But when I was sitting with these entrepreneurs, I was thinking to myself, I feel particularly at home. I feel very relaxed, I feel more comfortable than I would have been in the RMI changing room. Mm. And the reason being, I figured out then in my own head, this is what I really am. It's not, you know, a lot of people in Ireland would still say, and the McNulty's a sports psychologist that's worked with A, B or C. I, I'd say 5% brand of our revenue 
our lace for the last 15 years has been in the mental side of sport. About 70% of that is with global corporates. A lot of that's in leadership development. A lot of it's in transforming cultures. A lot of it's coaching CEOs who are struggling around the world. A lot of it, of course, now is helping organizations grow and develop into high-performance organizations. So, so to be honest with you, it's having the vision, yes, but it's also realizing that being brave as an entrepreneur, it's amazing what you can achieve. Yeah, for sure. And have you ever struggled with the naysayers, the people that laugh at you? Have you ever taken that on board? Like you say, at the start that everyone, your fellow you're sitting down having a beer with laughed at you. Did you ever take those no. kind of pessimists on board? No, no, no. And I'll tell you why, Brian. It's normal that people laugh at you. I think it was Gandhi who said, first of all, they're going to laugh. Mm. Then they'll criticize you. Then they'll joke about you. Then they'll resist you. And then they'll join you. Yeah. So no was the easy answer. Yeah. And that's brilliant. And what have what has been the best moments in your career, be it in business or working with different people? Uh, I'd probably surprise you with this, Brandon. It's, it's not Grand Slams. It's not seeing an athlete performing the highest level in the world stage and doing a four, sub 45 seconds, David Gillick, who's obviously an incredible world-class athlete. It's probably the moments when there's nobody around. It's you're on your own when an athlete, you see them making a breakthrough or you're, you're sitting down nice and quiet for a cup of coffee and the gentleman says, I'm after getting the global CEO role. It's, it's the quiet moments. It's when one of the guys we coach who's danced over five and a half thousand times a river dance around the world, when you're sitting down in New York City uh, near the Bronx, you're having a cup of coffee and you're, you're chatting about how can he go from being an amazing dancer to being dance captain to being uh, a leader of the troop to being the leader of the organization. And today he is the leader of the organization globally. So it's, it's those quiet moments uh, that I'm most proud of that would be the best things coaching kids is particularly rewarding Co- coaching a, a kid with very significant autism or dyspraxia uh, we used to do a lot of it back in the day it was transformational in my coaching journey uh, to see a kid with dyspraxia dyspraxia means it's a bit like this uh, Brian you're, you walk into the class and your, your head's down, your shoulders are slumped. It, it's as if you're totally elastic. And this this wee fella walked in. His daddy was actually a Canadian uh, basketball coach, and he walked into the class like this. And to see him six months later be able to walk into the class with a normal posture. So to, to be honest with you, I get as much a buzz out of that as the guy who gets the World Player of the Year. Yeah. And you mentioned that, that kid there is that to do with his posture? Like, I think I've read a lot about the importance of posture and how your posture can feed into your confidence and that side of things. Yeah, so dyspraxia is absolutely, it's a condition, it's a genetic condition that basically the muscles are very lax. So your your core muscles would be so poorly developed that the bones become so brittle and you become so slumped that, you know, it's not nearly like, 
the rest of us uh, are able to have normal posture. So it, it has to be particularly well uh, developed in terms of the core and, and training the posture back to try and be near optimal. Okay. And what training do you do now yourself? Like uh, I've heard you speak for and the importance of physical well-being linked up with mental well-being. And I, I think it's just so important to do a bit of exercise every day. But what training when you're you're busy, you're running a company, you're doing so much, what training do you do? Yeah, I suppose like yourself, I can see, Brian, that you're obviously in good nick. I believe that exercise and physical well-being should be integrated into all aspects of our life. So this morning, I'll give you an example. Really honestly, at uh, seven o'clock this morning, I was rowing with a client for an hour and a half in a rowing class. I loved it. It was outside in Dublin. We were rowing a pretty strenuous rowing class, like a sprint repeat class with an ex-Olympic rower, a three-time Olympic rower. uh, And he's won a... I think he's won a, either a silver or a gold at the European, sorry, the World Championships, Nalo Tool. So that's what I was doing this morning at seven o'clock. So I'm, I'm still probably buzzing. I'm probably buzzing too much. It's nearly bedtime now. I'm still mm. buzzing after that. So I think that for me, uh, Brian, it's about integrating health and well-being into everything you do. So whether it's with clients, whether it's with family, whether it's with friends, whether it's uh, a run, whether it's a, a row, whether it's weights, whether it's sprinting. For me, yeah, I, I like to mix it up. I like to make it uh, eclectic form of training. Good stuff. Yeah, it's unreal the buzz that you get after working out. I am um, many years we trying to explain to people. I'm like, no, it's brilliant, and they're like, no, I don't like working out it's just too tiring it's whatever whatever and i'm like no no you got to just stick with it you got to keep going <laughs> it's uh, and it's funny then it's brilliant when people do get into it they're like i started doing xyz yoga tennis running whatever and i really like it and i get it you know and it's just brilliant when people do start to have the eureka moment totally agree it's it's that's the key i think the key is to find what they love if they find them with the love they're going to stick at it for life yeah 100 percent and how do you set goals for yourself now? Uh, good question. Good question, Brand. To be honest, early in my athletic life or my football life, I would have been almost militant in setting goals. And a lot of those goals were achieved early on in my football career. But then I've probably moved away from setting goals now, Brian, to be more mission-oriented. What's the mission? What's the biggest thing you want to achieve in life? Because I think... Uh, including uh, being critical of myself in the past, would have advocated the athletes set goals. What's your goal for today or for tomorrow, for the next season, for this Olympic uh, cycle and so on? Instead of, no, but hold on. What's the North Star? What's the big mission? Why are you doing, let's say, 30 hours a week trying to become a better rugby player or Olympic athlete or lacrosse player if, if, you're, if they're in uh, Canada? So I think that's much more important than thinking about what's your short-term goals because we know the mission then we can work our way back yeah for sure and what you say there i found that as well like when i was younger and playing in underage teams and setups it was constantly like three months six month 12 month goals whereas i find like you say having a mission and something that you want to achieve and then i look at my daily practices i'm like okay i did this this morning i meditated i worked out after that, I did this, did this. Then I went on my phone for half an hour. That's where I need to go on my phone for 40 minutes in the middle of the day when I'm eating lunch. That turns into an hour. And that's that's where I need to change things. And everything else is 
is in line with where I want to get to. And I just feel that if you keep your days in line or with going in the direction that you want to go to, then everything else falls into place. Like you say, you have that North star and then it's just a daily. It's just, you just win the day. Don't you? Yeah. Well, I love what you said of the daily practice. I, I totally agree, Brian. So we can set goals all we want, but unless we're getting busy every day with our practice, with the quality of our practice, with our development, with our mental training, with the quality of our coaching. So I think there's, there's two things that unfortunately are highly underestimated at sport at any level. One is the quality of your deliberate practice. And the second one is the impact that an amazing coach can have on an athlete's development and trajectory it's just mind-boggling unfortunately a lot of athletes don't really know how to have amazing deep focused practice and a lot of let's say coaches around the world haven't really figured out how to transform a young player or even a middle-aged player's uh, potential yeah and so what do you mean by deliberate practice? Is that, like you say, with the uh, doing your mental workouts or stuff in the morning along with your physical workouts, the visualization affirmations? Is that what you mean by deliberate practice, like not leaving no. it up to chance? No. So that's your mental practice. By deliberate practice, I mean, there's, so there's huge research behind what the best performers and all the performance crucibles have in common. We've heard of the famous 10,000 R rule. It was made famous by Malcolm Gladwell talking about it, but Gladwell never developed the rule. He, he actually stole the idea of the rule from uh, an elite scientist who went and studied the best performers, the best pianists, the best guitar players, the best basketball players, the best, let's say, swimmers, uh, and so on, and recognize that if, if you're the most elite, which basically means you're the top uh, 2% in your country in any sport in the world, uh, if you're at the most elite level, or in the piano, or in singing, if you're at that level, all those people have a lot of things in common. One of the things they have in common is the quality of their practice. So it's, you know, everybody will say, oh, isn't he an amazing international world-class rugby player? But that's because they're 25 years of age and they've done probably 14 years quality practice, maybe even before they had a decent coach. So it's actually easier, in my experience, it's far easier to coach an elite Olympic athlete than to coach somebody who has dyspraxia and has got poor posture at 11 years of age. The scale of difficulty of coaching the elite or leading athlete, that, that's easy. Anybody can coach that athlete. But to coach somebody who, who literally hasn't got the coordination skills to bounce a ball with two hands three times in a row, that's a challenge. 100%. I find or found, have found as well that the higher I go up or the better players I coach, it just becomes so easy. And the real heroes out there, the ones coaching kids on Sunday mornings, they're like, that's, that's the most difficult thing. Well, exactly. Brian. Well, I love you saying that because you asked me earlier on what I'm most passionate about. We're actually now most passionate about coaching the coaches of coaches. So if we can coach one person who owns the whole coaching infrastructure of an entire organization and get them to be aware of the importance of the fundamentals at age, let's say, six, well, then that can impact millions of kids' lives versus somebody who's arrogant and coaching somebody who's 22 and happens to be a world-class athlete. Yeah. And before I let you go, any good books you've read recently? Cheapers. Where would I start? Good books. I'll 
reading this book, as you can see at the moment. Oh, yeah. Ryan Holiday. Uh, Ryan Holiday. I'm a big fan of Ryan Holiday's Courage Calling. I, I probably am a very eclectic reader. I, I, I like reading a wide array of books in different genres. Maybe it might be a, a book about Shackleton to see and, and to try and remind myself of his amazing resilience and that amazing adversity that he faced. Uh, I'm, I'm very curious at the moment about uh, Elon Musk, what's going on in that man's brain, how the hell has he achieved so much mm. so soon. So I'm pretty intrigued about that. I'm also intrigued about uh military and strategy and leadership and, and warfare so i'd probably go from reading a chapter about richie mccall into trying to understand how did uh, nadia kamineski how was she such an amazing mentally tough athlete at such a young age of age then to understanding the strategy of d-day then to uh, try to understand in neuroscience about the use it or lose it concept in the brain. So I, I'm actually very eclectic in my reading style. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. All kind of nonfiction and all towards what you're kind of doing day to day. Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm a great nonfiction reader. Probably a wee bit. Of, I am interested in reading poetry. Like Heaney is just. Uh, master wordsmith so I, I do enjoy that that's probably more of a switch off reading would be reading Haney or Patrick Cavan or somebody like that yeah and you mentioned there the military I find that fascinating as well like the strategy leadership all that stuff do you know two guys that I just love but I'm um, David Goggins and Jocko Willink I know David Goggins I don't know Jocko Willink I know uh, of Goggins he, he's pretty inspirational isn't he yeah uh, he's incredible I, yeah, I love him I listen to his book and yeah, inspirational as you say. Yeah, he's unreal. I can see your books in the background there are pretty impressive. I can see engages behind you there. Is that right? What's that? Engages behind you there, one of the books behind you. Yeah, uh, there's a few different ones. You mentioned John Wooden. Yeah, yeah I like his his he's really good. I like his yeah. book, yeah, the the pyramid. Amazing. How's your family doing back home? Yeah. Oh, they're doing well. Yeah, they're doing well. I'm going home for the first time in two years now in nearly yeah, three weeks. So yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing them. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. What part of Mayo was it from? Uh Ballina. Uh, did they win the championship? Uh no, I think they might have last year. Well, I played with the junior club in the town. My brother played with the yeah. Steve Knights. But uh no, I think they got knocked out this year. They last year they might have, yeah. No, I think they won it this year. I think I think Balna could have been playing against one of the teams way out. Uh, what do you call it? Billy Joe Patton's club? Oh, Westport. Yeah, I, th- I think that Balna, uh, yeah, just check that. But Balna could have won that. Yeah, maybe. Well, I'm from, as I said, I'm Ardenary. I'm the junior club in the town. So there are big rivals. We used to get, we used to get a win or two. We're under 16, under 18, but no, not after that. Yeah. I hear, I hear you loud and clear. Yeah, Enda, thanks a million for your time. Greatly, greatly appreciate it. And for bearing through the technical difficulties uh, earlier. It's, it's a pleasure, Brian. Uh, so great to see you. You're passionate about your coaching. And you're passionate about your mental skills. So, so keep doing what you're doing. And don't be waiting until you get 10,000 followers to do it. And instead, just, just go after it. What, what's the downside? Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, I fully agree. There's no downside. Just back yourself more. I can tell you there's a huge amount of upside of backing yourself. What, what does it say? Uh, be bolder, be braver, and let's see what happens. Yeah, 100%. I'll get after that after I leave you. <laughs> Lovely meeting you. Cheers. I'm sure I'll it. see you again in the future. God bless you. You too. Thanks, Emil. Thank you so much. Bye-bye-bye. 
lot of hours go into making this podcast each week. If you enjoy listening to the pod and would like to support me in making it and making sure that it keeps coming out, I have a Patreon page and there's a supporters tier. You can sign up, it's monthly, and I don't know what currency you're in, but it'll be a very, very small amount. But that support would mean so, so much to me. Also, if you're an ambitious player or someone who's interested in self-development, if you're a coach and you want to help your players on the mental side of the game, I have a tier called The First 15. And on this tier, you'll get extra podcasts from me based around mental skills, sports psychology that'll help you become more confident, more accountable, develop stronger self-belief and give you tools to deal with adversity. I sometimes put out bite-sized, like shorter versions of these Patreon-only podcasts so you can listen into them to get an idea. And there's a third tier, uh, one-on-one mentorship tier for if you want to do exactly that, work one-on-one with me so that I can help you become the player that you know you can be and achieve your goals. Lastly, if you're a coach or involved with a team and you think it's important for players to be confident, have self-belief, be mentally strong, send me a DM on Instagram or Twitter at Rugby, and we'll chat about what I can do to help your team become exactly that. I really enjoyed that chat with Enda. It's funny, I make clips for the podcast to share on Instagram, TikTok and LinkedIn and I found that I was nearly clipping every second minute of that. There's so much that Enda said that I wish I heard when I was younger. Please, would you take a minute to send the episode onto someone that would benefit from hearing it or put it into a WhatsApp group? As I mentioned in the intro, I think anyone with a growth mindset would love hearing from Enda. Also, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, would you please leave a rating and a review? Let me know what you like about the pod. I really appreciate your feedback and it also helps other people find the pod when they're searching for rugby podcasts because it helps with the Apple algorithm. A lot of players overlook the mental side of the game and that's to their detriment. And I was certainly one of those when I was younger. But as we chatted about, those who achieve, by and large, spend as much time on their mental preparation and training as they do on their physical. And they understand the importance of the mental side of the game and how having a coach for that can really take them to new heights and keep them there. If you feel that you've got more in you as a player, that you could be more confident and that you don't want to waste any more time in hoping that someday it all finally clicks, then send me a DM on Instagram and we can arrange a time to have a chat. My Instagram's at offfieldrugby, the offfield rugby coach, I help ambitious players get their mental side of their game right so that they can be their best selves and get to their next level. I mentioned in the pod how I feel women's rugby is way further ahead here in Canada than at home in Ireland. And just give some background on that. I know that in the last five years since I left Ireland that women's rugby has grown hugely from a participation point of view. Like my home club Balna now have a women's senior team and Lansdowne have a girls mini rugby program, which neither was the case when I left Ireland in 2016. But I feel Canada are that five, 10 years ahead in that, or maybe even a bit more to be honest, in that there's a serious university system here. I've mentioned before that that's where I'm coaching now. I coach the UBC women's rugby team. There's a lot of full-time women's rugby university coaches across the country, and there's probably 15 to 20 
women's university rugby programs that are essentially full-time training environments. They're training three times a week on the field, probably in the gym three times a week, and playing good quality rugby. Whereas Ireland just have the AIL when it comes to pathways into the women's senior national team. Along with, of course, provincial underage, but that then feeds into the AIL. And week to week, those girls are training and playing with their clubs. And also, no disrespect to any Mayo footballers. I want them to win as much as anyone, but Mayo have lost 11 All-Ireland Finals in a row. And I do believe that it's the mental side of the game that is where they're lacking. Along with Instagram, you can follow me on TikTok at OffFieldRugby. I post clips of the pod there and I also post a full podcast on YouTube. Any feedback or thoughts, don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks for clicking in today. Cheers.